You're listening to TWN Champions, episode 39. Champions, arise! Welcome to the Champions Countdown Podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum, or something like that. This is episode 39. I'm Will, and announcing Her Royal Highness, Duchess of Dollywood, first of her name, (laughs) it's Princess Rebecca! (laughs) Hello! We don't, you you don't have to bring your own trumpet, Princess. (laughs) Um... It was onomatopoeia <laughs> for the trumpet that walks with me. I think you're just into making mouth noises because you feel like a princess ever since you got your fancy fluoride treatment. That's true. I have been to the dentist. Uh-huh. Which is a big deal for us. Okay, well, it, <laughs> long-standing gripes about the poor state of healthcare in our country. We have decent insurance, uh-huh. but we have baller dental insurance that... Yeah. that we pay for, but we just haven't used it. Cause like first it was like, uh, I don't want to deal with that. And then COVID happened and it was like, uh, yeah. Yeah. And but I'm going to go get my money's worth. Yeah. And I didn't want them to tell me I, they were going to take my wisdom teeth. Cause I don't do that. Yeah. They, they did tell me that they were going to do that, Yeah, but it's, it's okay. I'm still wise even without them. That's what I'm telling myself. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I've got, I've got all the teeth now. Gold teeth. They gave me some <laughs> I, pearl uh, when, in my teeth. When they do take your wisdom teeth, are you going to ask to keep them? I don't know if that's an option. Oh, you can. Oh, you can. You can <laughs> ask them. I've heard you, people ask them to I'll keep stuff. I'll just snatch it off the tray. If tell them, if, just hold it back. Put it in a jar for you. Okay, we'll see where we we'll see where we land with that. One. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. For there lived a maiden so gentle was she that all the world loved her tenderly. What are we talking about today? On today's episode, we are counting down our personal favorite takes on the princess archetype. I have four. Will has four. It's a top eight. Well, Rebecca, what do we know about princesses? And is there a chance I might be one and don't know it? You most certainly definitely are. It's a newer concept than I would have imagined. Oh, yeah? Mostly in that I just imagine that this is just an ancient concept that all societies have. And Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily true. Um, Like, I thought there would always be some kind of special designation for the children of leaders in any kind of society. Mm -hmm. Like, son of Grog. Like, he the good one. You know, Mm -hmm. daughter of Grog. She's strong like her father. Like, Uh I don't know. I don't know. But anyway. But like... And, and it's true that we have princesses in, like, Greek myth and, like, all over the world there are some type of princess characters. But, I mean, the concept that we have when we are getting to our princesses of today is very much based in that European dynasty template. Okay. 
So like we in the real world don't see our first reigning princess, like a princess who can actually take the throne. It's very unusual anyway today because of how, how it works. But like a reigning princess didn't happen until 1130 when we got Constance of Antioch because her father fell in battle when she was two and her whole life was spent assuming the throne and trying to fend off all the male relatives who were laying claim on it. And they're like, I'm your cousin, I could be the king. And then two-year-old Constance is like, well, no, I'm the king. Like, so, you know, it was like yeah. all that situation. And you must be pretty savvy to survive all that because from everything I have read about ancient history, that's they just, just a, kill somebody. And it's like pretty well accepted. That's pretty normal in like the Royal court. Like once the, the dude falls, then there's all kinds of uh, schemes and poisons and just <laughs> yeah. beware of uncles. <laughs> uncles are bad. <laughs> uncles always have poison. Yeah. And I think in her case, it was kind of like a combination of like, nobody was really taking it seriously that she might reign. Okay. And then, so they didn't consider her a threat, but then also everyone was just kind of too polite when she was like, no, I believe I shall. And they were like, oh. <laughs> and then eventually, right before her death, they made her son the new monarch. Okay. And in, in, in that vein, we're getting the princesses and epic poems, you know, and Beowulf and all that. Okay. And then you get fairy tales and so on. And our first big princess in uh, these sort of tales would be Guinevere, who was technically a queen because she married King Arthur. But she sort of represented that princess ideal. Beauty and purity and nobility. Okay. I was going to say, mess. I bet the purity is a big thing. And I mean, and you know, of course, there were so many different tellings of these stories. Like, she was a real character and a real person with real characteristics in a lot of these tellings of this tale. But... Ultimately, it was like the role of the princess was to be, the function of the princess was to be like, you know, the the, the, the beautiful thing upholding the nobility of the lineage that we have must preserve when we fight against the barbarians kind mm -hmm. of a deal. So yeah, that's very, very condensed, but good enough, shall we say. And uh, we still have princesses today that are based on those stories which then morphed into like, fairy tales, which then morphed into Disney movies. Well, to talk a little bit about Disney princesses, they are almost always a retelling of those uh, princess fairy tales. In Disney's case, uh, they're retellings of fairy tales from around the world, starting with Snow White back in 1937, which is, always blows my mind when I read that. That is a long time ago that we had a Disney film. That's it is a long hard time to ago. Believe. And, and remember when they reissued that film in the theaters, I think that was the first movie I ever saw in a theater. And oh, I, was, I was so small that I remember my Aunt Patsy had to read the script to me of the you know scroll when it unwinds oh, and says everything okay and so i was i was definitely like pre-k i was teeny teeny tiny when they did that but i mean i never had any sense that snow white was made in 1937 yeah. i was just like here's a cartoon i'm a child right like, but all of all of the disney uh princesses do have some common traits they're um always kind to animals uh they're beautiful inside and out uh, they're usually beautiful singers, and they <laughs> almost always have some kind of romance. And 
although there were princess films from Disney since the 30s, when we hear Disney princess, we're most likely thinking about the movies that start around 1990. That's what they call the Disney Renaissance. And this is when they had their monster hits that were Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin. And then Disney figured out we're going to make a franchise out of Disney princesses because people love the princess stories. And so you get this franchise launched and I will give you a quick list of the canonical 12 Disney princesses and we will discuss. Okay, sock it to me. Okay, Snow White, 1937, Cinderella, 1950, yeah. um, Aurora from Sleeping Beauty, 1959, Ariel, Little Mermaid, 1989, Belle, 1991, Jasmine, 92, Pocahontas, 95, Mulan, 98, Tiana, 2009, Rapunzel, 2010, Merida, 2012, and Moana, 2016. Good night. That's a lot of princesses. Yes. And did you feel like any were conspicuously missing from this list? Uh, well, I was mostly just waiting. Okay, I'm just surprised that it took them that long to make a, Rap- a Rapunzel movie. Because oh, yeah. Rapunzel is such an old story. I know, and I yeah. was thinking, I'm like, when was that whole thing? But I guess that wasn't... I'm surprised she made the cut. Um, <laughs> She's not the princess anybody really identifies with. No. It's like her her traits include having hair. Although I guess <laughs> I guess I don't know. I don't know anything about her personality. I, yeah, I didn't watch the movie. They probably made one for the movie. Let's just assume. So some that I feel that we're missing is first of all uh, Nala from The Lion King. Oh, I guess. I guess yeah. we don't get animal princesses. Um, also, Anna and Elsa. Like they are, they are. Oh the, wait, are they not considered in the no. the list of princesses? They are kind of like honorary Justice League members, and they get pulled into the storylines for a lot of the princess. But for some reason, they are not canonically princesses. Well, that's ridiculous. Isn't that crazy? They clearly, definitely are. And they they're are like the number one princesses. Monster, monster hits. That's so weird. You have seen the role of like the princess change in these Disney movies, and the way you would think where they are less the plot object and the damsel in distress and the thing to be saved and they get to be more in charge of their own action and in charge of their own lives more and more or starting around the 90s and then getting gradually better yeah i was i was gonna say like it strikes me as during our entire lives mm-hmm. we don't have the same life will we have two different ones but during <laughs> during our entire yeah. lives I feel like we've heard more complaining about passive princesses than we've actually seen passive princesses. Yeah, that's probably true. Because that course correction was well underway by the time that we were coming up in the world. Uh, yeah, I think Ariel was the first one that was making that kind of movement, like her wanting to do something different with her life. I think Belle and Jasmine weren't quite there, but were on the cusp. And then everybody after that was doing pretty good. Oh, yeah. Well, Belle thought she was better than everybody. Not only was she not, <laughs> well, she was technically a damsel in distress sort of-ish, but, you know, she's just yeah. like, this town sucks. I read books and y'all don't. Yeah, she like- kind of had like a weird Twilight <laughs> willing captive thing going on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apologies to anyone who loves Belle. <laughs> um, and, and I don't have too much more to add there, but maybe before we even get to our picks um, or to talk about what our picks are going to be like, can we quickly just say which princess are you? Uh, uh, do we have to pick from the 12? No. Oh, now I'm here. Answer, ha- answer how you wish, <laughs> and I will edit your thinking time. When I've done the quizzes before, uh-huh. 
it's been like, you're a Merida. And I'm okay. like, why? I, maybe I am. I don't know. Yeah, you're redheaded anyway. But I mean, kind <laughs> of. Not anymore. No, I would say that's right. I would say that's right. Okay. I would say, you know, you're, you're, you're feisty and you're, gonna, you're chaotic good. You're going to do what you're going to do. My hair is wild. <laughs> you know, not in a pretty way. <laughs> I look like I look like I'm in Leonard Skinner on a humid day. Usually, I look like Willie Nelson on a on a humid day most days. That's how my hair looks. But we can pretend it looks like Merida's. And, uh, and you are. And my hair is beautiful. And I'm going to say an Ariel <laughs> is what I feel like. And see, Ariel's such a ditz, and I just don't feel like that really is like you. No, but, but you she, didn't. You didn't want to do what was expected of yeah, you. You want to go out and see the world. That's right. Okay, that that's makes right. sense. She's, yeah, I'll accept that. She wants to see things differently. Yes, I, I I think that's right. The last thing that I guess I wanted to say about the canonical princesses is that I think Disney thought it was a an act of inclusion to say, oh well, Pocahontas is one of the right. princesses. But I mean, technically, that's culturally wrong because I think there are a lot of uh, indigenous Americans who are kind of offended by that Indian princess stereotype because ascribing the role of princess to like a tribal chief daughter is kind of insulting when that's not their power structure. And Uh it's just like a weird thing to put on people. And they're like, oh, there's no such thing as an Indian princess. Bye. Okay. Thank you. And they're like, but don't you love it? You can get a Pocahontas Happy Meal toy. (laughs) And they're like, I guess we love it. Can we have our lands back? And they're like, no. But anyway, um, I just thought that that was worth mentioning because that is something that it's like, it's interesting to, to think about, well, okay. In the, in the spirit of princessdom just being a plucky heroine at this point, then of course she counts. But then I think there are some people who would be like, yeah, I don't really consider Pocahontas mm-hmm. a princess because that's not her zhuzh. Mm-hmm. And can we stop taking her story and, you know, commercializing it in such a way? But... You know, that's just food for thought, because is the role of a princess someone who has to be ascending a throne somewhere or uh, inheriting power? Or is it more of a state of mind these days? And that's a question I want us to chew on. That's a that's a that's a good segue into it. And one heads up about our list. Um, do have a special uh, guest by proxy who submitted uh, for our list this time. My sister, who is a unapologetic Disney princess fan. And that's what I knew that I asked her to contribute a pick. Uh, I will, I will share her pick with us. And it'll be, it's very interesting to me, you know, cause we're sort of arms length from the princesses and we look at it from a kind of different angle. This is somebody who is like, no accepting princesses on princess terms. And this is what she thinks. And so I'll, I'll include her as one of my picks. And we all look forward to that. Okay. We like when our sisters are involved in the podcast. <laughs> okay. Well, what's our first pick? Number eight. And so it was that soon after his encounter with the dragon Fafner, Prince Siegfried fell into the enchanted mud. And before long, his head grew back. <laughs> Whereupon he married the Princess Brunhilde, and they lived happily ever after. Well, I'm glad. So, a very common way to retell fairy tales is to put twists on them that make their original meanings funnier or comment on some way 
on some part of society. Okay. And we, we call that a fractured fairy tale, if you're interested. That's a, a common thing that we do. And my first pick is someone from a fractured fairy tale, which is Princess Winifred from Once Upon a Mattress. Oh. And, and this is the 1959 Broadway musical adaptation of The Princess and the Pea. Mm-hmm. And this was the uh, vehicle that launched Carol Burnett into superstardom oh. in her turn as Winifred. I read a really good book from her head writer from the Carol Burnett show about comedy writing, and it was very good. Well, that is good. The, the end. <laughs> and, and Carol Burnett, of course, was a gifted comedian yeah. and paved the way for a whole lot of other women who came after yeah. her. Like, you know, she just had this huge personality, so winning, so clever, so good on her feet. And uh, she was, I mean, sh- she had a lot of success as an actor and a, quote, comedian and yeah. entertainer, which is like, was unusual for a lot of women because I don't, I can't think of really any other female stars at the time who fit that same template, mm-hmm. who was like an entertainer in the same way that, uh, like, Bob Hope was. You yeah, know what I that mean? Yeah, makes sense. But anyway, she was great as Winifred. This character was a plucky swamp princess who manages to, spoiler, get the fancy prince by being herself. Okay. Ella, the girl of the cinders, did the wash in the walls and the winders. But she married a prince who was brawny and blue-eyed and blonde. Still, I honestly doubt that she could ever have done it without that crazy lady with the wand. Cinderella had outside help. So the deal about this story is that there's an evil queen, Queen Agravain, who has forbidden anyone in her kingdom to marry until she finds the perfect wife for her young son, Dauntless. Oh, good name. Okay. So the trouble with that is that she doesn't really want to give her baby boy away. And so she is making it impossible to find a woman who's good enough for her son. And they keep going to different kingdoms and having different princesses try to pass the princess test and none of them can do it. Mm -hmm. So frustrated, one of the King's most loyal men, Sir Harry goes to a distant remote swampland and scouts Winifred the Woebegone. And she is an uncultured, unfancy princess from the Swamplands. And uh, so she comes and attempts the princess test. And uh, she has swamp strength, so she can, like, lift a huge barbell. Oh, funny. And the prince loves that. And uh, she has swamp endurance, so she can outlast everyone at a ball where the queen is designated the ball as a reason to exhaust Winifred, but nobody knows why, but she wins the dance contest. Why are these tests like field days? From- <laughs> no, they are. She, she has to get creative. She has to oh, keep okay. coming up with new ones okay. because you know, otherwise you'll get a princess who can pass the last one. So she's got to, she got to keep coming up with I new like ones. I like that the queen has like barbells with like the pounds painted on the, on yeah, the Yes. And Dauntless couldn't lift it. So oh, okay. it's, it's another funny little bit yeah, on yeah. The, in the stage show. And so anyway, ultimately, um, she does, they, with the help of everyone in the palace, manage to pass the queen's test. Um, this is the princess and the pea. So that's the particular test, was the test of sensitivity. Yeah. But whether you could feel the pea beneath the stack of mattresses. 
And uh, anyway, this is just a really charming, plucky, but what I love is unapologetically strong and stompy princess. Stompy. And so that's the kind of princess that I identify with. I know that's with. why you were going to pick her. Yeah. <laughs> and then later, Carol Burnett was replaced on Broadway by Ann B. Davis, which we all know is Alice from the Brady Bunch. Okay. And then Winifred has since been played by Tracy Ullman in a TV adaptation and Sarah Jessica Parker in the 90s Broadway revival. And you're like, ugh, because I know how you feel about her. But she is a very strong singer. She's fine. Yeah. No, I mean, you know what I mean, though. There, there was a time where Sarah Jessica Parker's name is just like, uh, like her again. Because, you yeah, know, sure. it was during Sex and the City Mania. She doesn't seem like, stompy to me. Like She, doesn't she played her differently. Okay. She played her a little differently. Okay. But yeah. So anyway, just, just, I don't. I'm not going to tell you go see a play, but your local high school will definitely <laughs> stage this one at some point. And if you want to go make some kids' day, go see it. It's a really, it's a cute show. No one but me, fairy godmother, godmother, godmother. Where can you be? I haven't got a fairy godmother. Number seven. Just tell King Daddyums what you'd really like for your birthday. America. I don't care! I want America for my birthday! I want it, I want it, I want it! You may be the Emperor of Darkland, but if you don't get her exactly what she wants for her birthday, your life's gonna be pretty miserable. She's the star of the Koopa Kids. This is Wendy O. Koopa from the Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> is she a princess? She is. I did not know that, but I love that. <laughs> I'm very happy for her. We should start by talking about the Koopalings. Do we like the Koopalings, and who's your favorite? We do like the Koopalings, and that was one of the most fun parts of Super Mario 3, it was, was being introduced to the Koopalings. And if you don't remember, because you're not old, um, the deal was... They're in, in everything now. I love that mm -hmm. because the way that we were introduced to them is that every world, like you fought your way through a Koopa airship and at the end of them, you had to fight one of the Koopa kids. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I think my favorite was Iggy Koopa. The one with the crazy hair. With the crazy I hair. I like that one too. He was the good one. But Wendy was also notable though, because I think, didn't she have an attack that was like little candy rings that she would throw at you? I like think they so, or like, her bracelets. Or yeah. bracelets. It yeah. was something like that. It was striped she, like a peppermint. I think that's why I thought it was candy yeah. maybe. But she was also adorable. <laughs> so yeah, the Koopa kids, great group. Great group of kids. Yeah, I like them a lot, too. They're really cute. They're really funny. And they kind of have a weird Mario history. Like you said, they debuted in Mario 3 as level bosses. And they were supposed to be Koopa's kids. But later, Nintendo made a character called Bowser Jr. And sort of retconned it. And the canon now is that the Koopalings are his minions, but they're all siblings. So well, that's just I don't I don't agree with that. Maybe they're just too polite to say that they're all illegitimate uh -huh. children. Uh huh. Well, like, they did kind of have King a funny Koopa statement because they said they don't know who her mother who their mother is. Yeah, their mother <laughs> is lots of people. Okay, they have different mothers. We're okay. pretty sure. Well, so Wendy is the girl one, and she was absolutely hysterical in the Mario Three cartoon which was produced before the release of the game, so they didn't have a name for her yet, and her name there was Cootie Pie Koopa. And her character is essentially a spoiled teen princess, and she's got a giant hair bow and lipstick and bracelets and a pink shell. And her deal is, 
in her featured episodes, she'll decide she wants something outrageous, and Koopa is terrified of her and panics and sets it up for her and before she throws a tantrum, and then she runs hard with whatever he gives her until she ruins it because she goes too far. And in one, like, these are really good stories. They were so funny. Um, in one of her episodes, she wants Koopa to make her Emperor of America. <laughs> and she reads off a list of changes they're going to make in America. And she says things like, all American children's toys will now go to me. Which was good. Law number one. Every kid in America must give me their toy. Any handsome boy who does not ask me for a date will be turned into a rock. In Fort Knox will be melted down to make me a lifetime supply of charm bracelets. In another one, she demanded uh, that she wanted a Millie Vanilli concert. And she's like, I want Millie Vanilli! And then... That is hilarious. And Koopa's like, you should animate his face like he's so scared. Like, anything to make her shut up. Anything. And uh, he summons Millie Vanilli and she like punishes them for not uh, playing the songs right by turning them into accountants and stuff. It was so good. That is hilarious. <laughs> Millie Vanilli! Millie Vanilli! I get to keep them for real daddy kids? Too cool! Oh, I have to go change. Now, if you're thinking this sounds insane, uh, it is 100% the same as the teenagers on that old MTV show, My Super Sweet Sixteen. I was just going to say, that it, that does sound a lot like My Super Sweet Sixteen, where the, the rich dad thinks they can get any band. Yes. Because the, the daughter thinks that she can get the Rolling Stones to play at her Sweet Sixteen. The Millie Vanilli story reminded me of that, and that's exactly what I was th- thinking about. Well, there was one of those episodes where the girls are like, who should we invite? And all the rich kids are there, and like some... Uh, like Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, the rich like, boys yeah. are like, oh, yeah, my dad said you should get the Rolling Stones. Like, they just... They have no Anything clue. you want, whatever. Anything you want. And that's where they learn that it's not always true. Who did they end up getting? Uh, a band called Unwritten Law. So it was just like somebody Some on the Some band radio. on some PR list that was willing to play Sweet Sixteens for like 30 grand. Yeah, that I'm anybody sure. could feasibly get. For, yes, correct. That's so funny. If you had 30 grand, yes. That's funny. I don't know if that was the price, but I have looked at a lot of like client lists since then. <laughs> and I feel like it was probably about that. You know, I am a royal reptile and I command you to play a private concert for me this instant! Wendy was perfect because she had that same pathological entitlement, but I think she somehow was likable because she wasn't whining or complaining just like because she couldn't get what she wanted. It was like a weapon she knew she had that she could deploy to get what she wanted, if that makes sense. Yes, that does make sense. Oh, okay. I was just going to ask you if she was named after Wendy O. Williams, like the punk singer. Oh, maybe so. And I have just Googled it, and that does seem to be true. So that only, oh, funny. I don't, well, since you said that her character was developed first, it's not like she was based on Wendy O. Williams, but. Well, you did have the other Koopa kid who was like Iggy Pop. Yeah, that so, I guess that's what got me thinking. And then of one it. of them was like a Beethoven one, so they were probably thinking of different musicians. That's cute. <laughs> that's cute, Nintendo. <laughs> I am far too beautiful to be a Koopa. You know, Big Nuts, I bet our real dad is a movie Number six. No doubt you are their best teacher, your majesty. 
It is my daughters that teach me in the languages of the modern world. For instance, are my princely robes not on fleek? Oh my god, father, to be on fleek is no more. Really? I rather enjoy being on fleek. Your father has sent for you. He has an urgent matter to discuss with you. Tell me, Simi, this urgent matter, does it concern my marriage to a suitor who shall one day sit on the throne of Zamunda? I will talk to father alone. All right, listen. We're at the point in this podcast and in this countdown where I'm just basically going to give you my movie recommendations. And that's why my number six <laughs> pick is Princess Mika of Zamunda from Coming to America. That was a great one. The sequel to the 1988 Eddie Murphy classic. All right. Context. <laughs> we are in an era of reboots and redoots and ancient redoubts, sequels, Squeakwills, prequels, all the quills, NyQuil. I feel like in a lot of cases, people and critics are unnecessarily harsh on these pro- projects because I think that everybody just wants different things out of a reboot. And like uh-huh. we can't universally agree on what it should be. And later on, I'm going to tell you that my, my theory is there are actually several different kinds of reboots. Uh-huh. And maybe you're expecting the wrong one, Okay. So for this film, which was a sequel, but we can maybe call it a reboot because I think it's generous to say that after a generation has passed, you know, you're, you are doing it for nostalgia, but it is like fresh blood or a fresh take on it, right? So, okay, a long-delayed sequel or the resurrection of an old franchise or property I think can always be called a reboot, but whatever, super not important. I feel like people are unnecessarily harsh on these kinds of things because their expectations are just impossible. Like what do you want from it? You Mm -hmm. know? Um, I mean, is it a cynical cash grab? Maybe if it is, you can be hard on it for that, but is it just a genuine desire that you're seeing there to, for people to spend more time in a beloved fictional world? Let them have that. And don't crap on it. Film critics. Cause I just, I was really surprised cause you and I watched this movie. Yeah. We really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, it was really good. And um, I was surprised to see that like the reviews were just very middling. It was very much around a 50%. That's like, way rate. too low. I way know. Too low. Correct. I, 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 yes, I have the exact reaction you gave, gave. What were they expecting? All right. Yeah. So just backing into this a little bit before I talk about Mika, um, the the comedic legacy of Eddie Murphy really can't be overstated for people who are our age and maybe a little bit older than us. Um, I know that it was one of our first video rentals that we used to rent on repeat all the time was the best of Eddie Murphy's Saturday Night Live. And I think Mm -hmm. I've said this before, like we thought he was the funniest man on the planet when I was like a little bitty bitty kid. Mm -hmm. And like everything I know about comedy like has that as one of those key influences. Uh, like him doing like James Brown celebrity hot tub party. We used to do that bit all the time ourselves mm-hmm. when we were like playing in the spigot in the yard or whatever. And like what it, it was, I mean like it's, he was legendary. And just because he maybe had a rough time adapting to being a crazy celebrity and then maturing gracefully into the man we all wanted him to be. Yeah. <laughs> does not mean that we should just be like dismissive of any of his efforts now to, harp on nostalgia or whatever. All right. Anyway, just got to, I got to mention that. I don't think anybody was expecting this film to be like some brilliant gritty Renaissance or whatever. 
people just wanted to see a fun and updated story with beautiful costumes and a, a big chew the scenery turn by Wesley Snipes. That's yeah. what anybody, that's all anybody wanted. They just wanted to see, is the queen still beautiful? <laughs> you know, is it fun to look at? Um, and, and let's have some nice looking costumes. In fact, the costumes of this film are one of the main highlights and they were done by Ruth E. Carter, who was the one who won the Oscar for her uh, costume design on Black Panther. Okay. So she, I mean, I, I don't know. They definitely um, learned or were smart to pick up on some of the uh, things that were successful for Black Panther in that movie. And it, it, it was to good effect, I think. Take her. Keep as a prisoner until King of Kings gives me my answer. Go! Go! So in this film, Prince, now King Akeem, is looking for his illegitimate male heir to ascend the throne because he has three daughters otherwise who could not take the throne after his death. Mm -hmm. And his daughters are all adorable. So Mika is the would-be inheritor of the throne. And, and one of them is his real daughter. I can't remember which one. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. So, But uh, Mika is played by Kiki Lane. I, uh-huh. and she, he has three, and they, the other two don't really get that much yeah, yeah. screen time or speaking time. But yeah. And, of course, her plot doesn't take as many minutes of screen time as we would like to see. But there is a whole lot that needs to happen in the screenplay. So I'm not even like, it was so lied. Like, what do you want from a freaking 90-minute screenplay, people? Yeah. Like... Manage your expectations. But anyway, the screenplay, I think, hits all the marks. And if you're expecting that, it's going to end with, of course, the female heir being able to become the heir to the throne. Of course that happens. Uh It has to hit that mark, right? But it's still satisfying when it does. And it's still the product of her intelligence, sharpness, and ability and just because you think it's the foregone conclusion to the movie doesn't mean that it was just an afterthought. And I think it was really well done. I think like, so too. I really enjoyed it. And they and they did some great stuff when they went back to New York City and like they updated they did some good updates to it like including Leslie Jones in it was very good. She was very funny. Yeah. And then all the same people who were in it who made the first one fun yeah. were still in it making it fun. So like again, I don't know what anyone was expecting this to be besides just a really fun romp around a world that everyone would like to see again. And um, I love, I love the idea of uh, imagining a Zamunda where she's going to be the queen and reigning someday. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And you know what? We're going to keep getting older. We'll probably have that movie eventually. (laughs) And hopefully Kiki Lane will want to reprise the role and it'll be rad, you know? (laughs) So come listen to this and like, 12 years time and tell me if I'm wrong, but come on, it's delightful. And I just think she's a great princess. And I think uh, you should all go rent coming to America. Cause it was really cute. Perhaps now you would like to solve your problems diplomatically. Number five. You would have denied my claim to the throne? No clone can be allowed to rule. Why is Katana worthy of the throne? She gained it through heroism, not nepotism. It is mine by divine right! She's a princess with the biggest smile in Outworld. 
It's Melina from Mortal Kombat. <laughs> I knew our list was going to be weird, but okay. That's well, about, this, is, this, is, this is about right. That's fine. Well, I wanted a good alien or monster princess for sure. Yeah. And I think she definitely fits the bill. Uh, is she among the Mortal Kombats you're familiar with? No, not okay. really. No. Of course, I only know your basics. Okay. You know. Your basics that you could pick from in the main game in the, yeah. in the first one. So, okay. Yeah. Well, after Mortal Kombat 1, we needed some more female fighters. <laughs> Obviously. Yes. They wanted to get in on it. That wasn't fair. <laughs> so, in Mortal Kombat... Girl power. <laughs> in Mortal Kombat 2, we get Katana and Melina, who are basically outworld ninjas. Outworld is like the um, um, alien desert hellscape where the... Luckily, it, re- it reveals all of that in its name, and I don't need to know anything about oh, it. Oh, yes, to true. Know, to know that it's just, oh, it's out there. Okay. Okay, yeah. Uh, Katana is the blue bathing suit ninja, um, and then Melina is the purple one who has the size. S- okay. S-A-I-S, um, like the Ninja Turtles. So her story is that the big bad guy at the time, Emperor Shao Kahn, who's the, like the war warlord of Outworld, um, where they have the video game tournament, he does have a daughter, Katana, but he worries she'll find out about the depth of his bad doings and overthrow him one day. So he secretly has a sorcerer, Shang Tsung, build him a clone daughter in the flesh pits and makes her part mutant to give her extra killing power for yeah. good reason. For Only good the best for my little girl, <laughs> yeah. okay? Exactly. Whatever you want, baby. You daddy's little princess. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, she might, he's not worried about if she'll resent that later and uh she'll be his more loyal heir and she's everything katana is not she's savage and she's ruthless and she's slightly insane and this is the best part when she first debuted in mortal kombat 2 all the boys are going hubba hubba over these two 16-bit babes right like ooh, i'm gonna get the purple i'm gonna get the blue one and then when you first do melina's fatality you see her going for a kiss, and she pulls off her mask, and she's got this giant monster mouth with a prehensile tongue, and she just eats people's faces off. And I loved it. (laughs) It was such a good surprise. Um, I just couldn't get enough of the alien princess thing. And I was really trying to think about why that is, but I love when you get to see royalty of different species, and they don't look like what you imagine, like... You know, when you hear like space princess, you might be thinking of like Flash Gordon princesses or like Deja Thoris or something. But like real space monster royalty, I guess it's because it like reminds you that princess is a real political title, which would be used by other species and aliens. So when that happens in a story, it sort of turns the fairy tale image of a princess into something real. And then because this is aliens, it bends it back around to something unreal, I guess. And I just like that interplay it <laughs> just, just, like it just a, something tickles my brain there you just like that whole thing yeah you just get to sort of like ref, refract and bend the lens to look at it however you want to i guess it's sort of a weird way to look at it but it just lights my brain up for some reason you took my throne now you wish to steal my means of reclaiming it neither was meant for you who are you to say i will take something of yours one more thought they should probably make like a Mortal Kombat princess line the way Disney did. That would be really cute. I think a lot of people would, would love that. I think boys would buy the Mortal Kombat 
princess line. I think grown men would buy that. I think they would. In, in a way, I guess they do. I guess we just don't call it that, but I guess you do buy the statues and stuff. But, like, I can imagine lots of grown men buying all the accessories for them. Like, ooh, I want Melina's <laughs> Shao Kahn mask. And, like, ooh, she's going to have these size. And, well, and, they should do, like, Nintendo tried to do with Amiibos. Oh, yeah. And then you could do it with all the Mortal Kombat princesses. I'm not even sure what you get from doing it, but well, I guess like extra outfits and stuff. Yeah, definitely it, extra outfits. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good lot. I, I would like to see like... A bunch of extra crap in your house you put on a shelf. Like you know. stories like in the franchise that are not any different from regular princess stories. Like they have to get ready for the ball, but they are these outworld princesses. That would be a great animated series. That would. That really would. Or like their country hillbilly um, royal cousin comes over and they're kind of embarrassed of her, but have to like get her in shape yeah, for the ball. Like their, their mutant hillbilly cousin. Yeah. And then she forges some unlikely alliance because some weird exactly. prince falls in love with her. Okay, Oh, well, maybe she's like Marilyn Munster and she's like actually really like Princess Peach pretty and they're like, oh, did you see her? Like, We're going to go be the lead of the kingdom and then they get to the kingdom and it's all like trolls. Okay, so I don't know much about Mortal Kombat lore, but I feel this is a spec script that we should probably be writing. <laughs> Mortal Kombat princess and Shiva, you know, like the Goro. Yeah. Uh, I forget what she's she calls. She's the main one. Oh, uh, she's great. No. So Porter loves it. Yeah, so he's, he approves. <gasps> okay, you know what? The neighbor's allowed. He's allowed to go and get in his car. He is. Number four. Kitty. Huh? Just so you know, I'm a hugger. (laughs) Boats. Oh, I just love boats. Don't you? Wind in your hair. Ocean on every side. Miles and miles from the nearest dry land. Watery death awaiting at the slightest mishap. Now just focus on me, okay? It'll help. Put me down. All right. I did not forget my thread about reboots because Mm -hmm. number four is on the other side of the spectrum of reboots. And I choose Princess Scorpia from She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah! Okay, so continuing on with my thread about what do you expect from a reboot or a retelling? Like, what, like, why are you disappointed? Some people cannot handle when something is a complete recontextualization using the elements of a story. Uh-huh. And that which is, is how you keep a story fresh. Which is a, <laughs> it is a great way to keep a story fresh. And again, some, so I, I, I think it, it's not strictly misogyny that made a bunch of dumb people lose their mind over the Ghostbusters reboot, for example. Uh It's just a lot of them were expecting the coming to America style of reboot. Okay, Where they wanted to just spend time in that world again and see our beloved characters, and they were angry when it was a recontextualization reboot. Yeah, or they, or, you know, sometimes people feel like the the previous story got erased uh, if it didn't continue with... which is not correct, yeah. you know, but, but again, we have to retell stories in our culture. Like, that's how culture evolves. Like, I'm, uh-huh. I'm sorry, guys. And some of them just really were turds, and I don't care. Yeah. But I'm just saying, I, this is me being diplomatic. Yeah. I think some people were expecting a different kind of reboot. And why am I bringing this up? This is because she and the Princess of Power, which we have talked about ad nauseum, 
is one of the best reboots of any property I think ever. Yeah, it was it was it was really good. One of the things that the writers did was a complete integration and reintegration of Scorpia into the into the storyline. So in the original She-Ra cartoon series, she was like a random henchman of the Horde. She was kind of like a duh, duh dummy, and she had like a duh, okay, boss, like kind of voice. <laughs> and it was a funny character design. Yeah. But I mean, she was just nobody. I mean, she was like, it's like, imagine making a emotional linchpin out of like Grizzlore. Like, you, yeah. you know, like it's it's hard to do. Or when rock you, steady. Or, right. Yeah, it's just, they're just like dopey dudes in the in the ensemble. That's what she was in the original. But in the new series, they keep her a scorpion lady. She's still in the horde. Um, she retains some of that sort of blundering energy, but now it's good natured and it serves to make her character really likable. Um, now, I think if you ask the writers whether they planned on her actually being a big part of the story, I don't think that they necessarily did. I just think that they wrote season one and they liked so much how she blended into that world that they gave her a bigger role as the series went on. The symbolism is not lost on me, and of course, I'm sure it was not lost on the writers, that Scorpia becomes one of the most vulnerable characters. And it's neat because she's got literal scorpion claws and literal mm-hmm. built-on scorpion armor, right? Mm-hmm. Beast Island is real? Oops, that's not good. Oh, shoot. Okay, let me just fix that. Catra, uh, can I get a hand? Catra? But that is one of the most um, wonderful things about the character is that she's someone who it is revealed to be very loyal and very tender-hearted and um, very much wanting to be loved and accepted by the people that, sh- that are around her. But they also managed to show it with a lot of humor. You should just let all your cares go. You're safe. You're safe here. Stop it! Stop! Shh, 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 shh. You're safe here, okay? Are you crazy? There's nothing we can't handle. Eventually, it's canonically established that Scorpia is one of the princesses. Her parents gave up their kingdom to join the evil horde, mm-hmm. and she was booted from the princess alliance. And we find that out when they have the princess's party ball that they all go to. So Scorpia gets to go to it, even though she's in the horde. And her character does exhibit more growth throughout the series, and that's all I'll say. Um, she is one of the delights of the series, and she's just another big way that they express in the series that your inner character is not determined by your outward circumstances. But she's wonderful. Yeah. And it's a good show. Watch it. It's good. <laughs> Princess Scorpia, hail. Tickets all in the wrist, you know, like, wha-pow, crack, whip. No, I'm not going to say whip when I use the whip. No one does that. Number three. I saw something that day, something I'll not forget. It stands 12 feet tall, with razor-sharp claws. His hide littered with the weapons of fallen warriors. His face scarred with one dead eye. I drew my sword and... Dad's leg was clean off. Oh, that's my favorite part. <laughs> okay, as advertised, 
my pick here. This is my sister's pick. So I'm going to um, summarize what she sent me and then and, and, and share share her, some of her thoughts about this. But I should set this up by saying that my sister, Lindsay, loves princesses. Uh, not in an ironic way. She just loves the Disney princesses because she grew up uh, during the Disney Renaissance and, and what we talked about before, we sang it in school nonstop. She had all the toys. She loves these princesses. Okay. <laughs> um, yes. I'm, have I, I think I may have mentioned on uh, one of our old podcasts too, is that a lot of uh, my childhood is Lindsay getting in trouble for something. And then five minutes later, she is outside on the deck twirling around with a cat singing a made up Disney song about no one understands me. Or and stuff like that. You just got to make up a lot of Disney songs about how you are not understood <laughs> yeah. by your family. And yes, and there there is a natural tendency in little girls to just make up songs about stuff, mm-hmm. whether or not you've got that influence. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's one of the most fun parts about being a little girl okay. and an adult woman if you just keep doing it like I do. <laughs> anyway, so so this is this is sweet, but also funny and interesting in the context of my other picks. Uh, thinking about Melina, uh, but anyway, <laughs> Lindsay's pick is. Another M princess, so she can stand right by Melina. This is Merida from Brave. Merida, stop! A lady enjoys elegant oh. pursuits. So I thought Lindsay was going to pick one of the bigs from the 90s heyday, but she picks Merida for good reason um, that I'll get into in a bit. But I'll give you some background on the film and the character first. So Brave was a 2012 Disney Pixar film and the first one not to be based on a fairy tale. And it features the first non-English song. <laughs> I do love that because they were just like, you know what? Fairy tales, like they're all a little bit weird. Let's just, <laughs> right. let's just write a new yeah, story. Can we write a, yeah, we can do it. Uh, and it, and we don't and, need any bloody feet, glass slippers, or anyone falling into comas. <laughs> let's just have a story that we just write. Anyway. Well, they tried it and it won an Academy Award. And also the writer and director for the story uh, said she based the story on herself and her daughter, which as we'll get to is a big reason Lindsay likes it so much. So Lindsay says, while I do enjoy the older princesses, their stories are always about getting the man and being saved. And this one is not. And she says, I have yet to watch it without crying. I find it incredibly moving each of the many times Kate, her daughter, has had me watch. So do you know what Merida looks like. Can you picture her? Yes. Okay. So we discussed like the wild red hair. Yes. Beautiful ringlets just cascading yeah. down her back in a glorious mane. And she's a, she's a younger, she's sort of a younger kid, like green dress and, um, and the bow and arrow, which is a big deal. Yes. Yeah, so you've got her. those three things. That's bam. An iconic character. Yes. <laughs> an easy Halloween costume. Bam. You got it. But you haven't watched this one. No, I was thinking about watching it last night, but then we rewatched the princess bride to see if I was still annoyed by it. And I was, but we love Wallace Shawn. We do. Good Lord. And Mandy Patinkin. <laughs> and Mandy Patinkin. And, and that, that and whole Andre. group. The whole three. The three yes. there, they're good. Anyway, it still get, Princess Buttercup still gets on my nerves, and I'm sorry, people who love her. Yeah. But maybe but go three, back and watch the, it. The three outlaws at the beginning, they're funny. Maybe go back and watch it and see if it shouldn't just be called Wallace Shawn. Yeah. <laughs> Inconceivable. Anyway. <laughs> so, so anyway, anyway, no, but that's why I didn't watch Brave. Okay. Maybe I'll watch it tonight, though. So, uh, so it's like a um, ancient Scottish setting. 
Um, and in this story, Merida's mother decides it's time for Merida to marry and join the clans. And so all the sons uh, from the clans are supposed to compete in this tournament uh, to win her hand. But Merida isn't having it, so she enters herself and wins the tournament herself to ruin it. And then she has a big blow up with her mom, and during which she tears up this tapestry down the middle that depicts her and her mom, which is a big deal later. Um, so then Merida's huffs over to go see a witch to get a potion to help her mother see things from her perspective, but it turns her mother into a bear. And then to reverse the spell, Merida and her mother have to find a way to mend the bond. And so uh, she and her mom go on an adventure to make things right. That's very sweet, but I'm really taken by this witch who needed to cast a spell for someone to see something from someone else's perspective. Because that's just like... Good talking. I didn't even realize that that was a witch's business. I'd be like, see what you need to understand about him is he thinks so-and-so. I could do that. Like if this were NPR, this is the point where I'd have to say, and we need to mention uh, Rebecca was a former spokesperson for the uh, witch uh, lobbying firm. (laughs) Witch Inc. No, but that's, that's like, that's very charming. Yeah. Even if the spell has like a practical element, because also it does sometimes seem like communicating between people can be so hard that if you just have a little insight or a little clarity, people will regard you as magical. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, anyway, that's all. That, that's all. I just find that interesting. That's cute. Well, so they go on an adventure. I want my freedom. But are you willing to pay the price your freedom will cost? My niece, Lindsay's daughter, did get like a Merida costume with her bow and arrow, and she liked to go shoot it around the house and everything. So, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of cool. Does the limited ability that someone can shoot a bow and arrow in the house without an adult being like, please don't break that. Well, what she would like you to do is you have to get the, uh, like the dartboard that comes with it, and then you have to cower behind it while she uh, shoots you with the arrow. And- From very close range. <laughs> yes. So, and you're all, pow! Rose, like, oh my God, that is terrifying. <laughs> so, but uh, Lindsay says she likes that Merida controls her own life, like we were talking about with the Princess Renaissance. You know, th- by now we're like fully embracing like a princess with agency or whatever. And Lindsay says, while she obviously is way too impulsive and makes some seriously questionable choices, I like that she isn't perfect. She doesn't sing to animals, have perfectly coiffed hair, or have a nasty villain to defeat. She made a mistake and had consequences to deal with. You know what? We really to spend more time thinking about that in our world seriously Which about thing? recovering gracefully from mistakes yeah you know we're, we're also living in a time when people are like i hate cancel culture it's like okay well i think a, a lot of times we are trying to ease into this world where people publicly can recover from a mistake uh-huh. and cancel culture is not going to be the end of everyone. Like maybe sometimes it's just people being called out for mistakes and then moving on from them. Right. Right. As people should be able to do. Yeah. Well yeah. And yeah. This is a thing that we really should work on yeah. as adults. <laughs> so let's well, really you know, that, try. That would be really nice to see like modeled in like popular stories yeah. too. It's like people being forgiven. You don't see that a lot. We see a lot of sanctioning or you see people getting away with it. Yeah. But you don't our, see the... Our, our protagonist is self-righteous or just they have some righteous cause behind them that makes them everything they do unquestionably right. How about we are just fumbling through making mistakes and trying to right them because that's what makes you a true hero. 
and then and then she included like the last line from the from the film. She's uh, uh, Princess Meredith says. Uh, there are those who say fate is something beyond our command, that destiny is not our own, but I know better. Our fate lives within us. You only have to be brave enough to see it. <laughs> Number two. All right, we're approaching our top pick. But you know how we usually do this is when we're, we take turns picking the number one. And so the one that I'm about to give is technically my number one. And uh-huh. Will will give the real number one. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who he picked for number one, but I assume it was a Transformer. <laughs> so- oh, my God. <laughs> a Transformer princess. I don't know about that. Oh, I don't read. be beautiful. That to be beautiful. <laughs> No, it was not a... I don't know who it is. I will be your bride. (laughs) (laughs) Trans princess. (laughs) A queen in disguise. Uh, that's funny and the and the the tape player one's like playing the crappy uh wedding music <laughs> and playing the electric slide great okay the well, dino bots come crush him well so. my pick is not a transformer princess i'm okay. sorry to say but i do think i've done pretty well when i pick leo organa slash carrie fisher mm-hmm. governor tuck i should have expected to find you holding vader's leash i recognized your foul stench when i was brought on board Short for a stormtrooper. Huh? So one day you're still alive. Will somebody get this big walking carpet out of my way? Why? Why you stuck up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder? Not just for the fact that Princess Leia, bloody blah, was for Gen X and millennials an icon and a role model, mm-hmm. obviously. Everyone said everything that needs to be said about Star Wars. So what I want to focus on is <laughs> Carrie Fisher. The I, reason I, I'm so sorry to be rude and interrupt. I was just going to say, I think it's so funny that you so easily say, everybody said everything that needs to be said about Star Wars. And yet we, especially I, cannot stop talking about Star Trek or Transformers. Like There's plenty <laughs> more to be said about that. But Star Wars, yeah, yeah, we get A it. A Transformers princess. Okay, yeah, no, ahead. But I mean, I'm just saying culturally, all of the pundits have said everything that okay. ever needs to be said about Star yes. Wars, right? This is not be me dismissive. It's just like, what can I add at this point? Okay. But I do want to talk about the reason why Leia wasn't just another princess to roll our eyes at is because of Carrie Fisher. Mm-hmm. Now... It's well established at this time that George Lucas isn't a great writer. Right. Literally fight me. I don't come to my house and we'll have a fist of guffs about it. If you wish to make an argument against that. Mm. Sorry, neither is Ryan Johnson or J.J. Abrams. Again, fight me. They all have their moments. They all have great ideas sometimes. They all have really well executed things They all have different strengths, Uh but I would say none of them is a strong writer. Sure, sure. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I follow. I know what you mean. Okay. I'm in. uh, No, it's not just my opinion. It's a fact. They all suck, and I'm just going to say it. Okay. Now, I would argue that the reason that Leia became the character that we see her as today is because of Carrie Fisher. So on the first Star Wars film, she describes in one of her memoirs that she wasn't really allowed to improvise lines on set the way that they let Harrison Ford do in the first film. Really? Just because, I mean, like, um, 
they would just ask different things of her. Yeah. And of course, on paper, Princess Leia in the first film is still like a very respectable, plucky, completely unembarrassing character. Uh-huh. Like she really is. Like I'm not crapping on George Lucas in that in that regard. She yeah. really is on paper a good character then. But what Carrie Fisher says is it's easier as an actor to go into rewriting as a profession. Because you know what would fit into your mouth dialogue-wise. So by the time they did Return of the Jedi, Fisher says she was rewriting some of Princess Leia's dialogue. And her career then would go on to be defined by Leia and then her frustration at having to endure the more one-dimensional aspects of the character, metal bra, slave outfit. Mm -hmm. Um, And it led to Carrie Fisher becoming a very in-demand script doctor. And that's actually what I really want to talk Uh about. So after Carrie Fisher wrote Postcards from the Edge in 1987, it was um, a semi-autobiographical novel, but it was a novel. Um, It was a huge hit. So she started getting these script doctor gigs, something she didn't care about being good at, but she was really good at. So Steven Spielberg calls her up and asks her to rewrite Tinkerbell's dialogue parts for Julia Roberts in Hook. So that was her. Carrie Fisher worked as a script doctor on Sister Act, Lethal Weapon, Last Action Hero, (sighs) Outbreak, The Wedding Singer, like just tons of films. And in the 1997 animated film Anastasia, in one of the most pivotal scenes where um, the orphan Anya debates and decides to venture on a journey to the past, this is like this really moving scene in this film, Uh, the composer says Princess Leia wrote that scene. So like, this is like Carrie Fisher was there putting her mark on all these different scripts in Hollywood. And so I would make the argument that the most powerful princess is the one who's in charge of telling the story. Oh yeah. And for that reason, Carrie Fisher is my top pick because she took lemons and she made it into lemonade and she became a person who put words in the mouth of in the mouths of so many other characters and in including so many other female characters because they, they were like you can write women we can't we're idiots like that was basically the the judge of it yeah and that's interesting because by the end of her life she had completely turned that around where she was, you know, used to be Princess Leia first, like, oh, it's the Princess Leia lady. And then by the end of it, she became such a cult of personality that you couldn't see Princess Leia without thinking, uh, oh, it's Carrie Fisher. It's Carrie Fisher's on the screen. Yeah. And that what a great legacy. Yeah. Because ultimately she was known, like Merida, for being messy herself uh-huh. and um, a one-of-a-kind person. Yeah. And like, what a legacy, honestly. Yeah, that's cool. All right, I didn't, uh, for the weebs out there, we've got Murder Princess from the manga, and they did a very short OBA anime series, which was really fun, Uh six episodes, Uh, Princess Mononoke, Uh which you've talked about in another episode, but I was going to do Buttercup, but then I rewatched The Princess Bride, and I was like, God, she annoys me, so no, she's not one. Well, I'll put Wallace Shawn there. Wallace Shawn. (laughs) I'm the princess. (laughs) I love him. Uh, Technically Wonder Woman. Yeah. Uh, The princesses from Bill and Ted, because I do love them. And that's it. Okay. I was going to say Elaine Tracon from The Wheel of Time. (laughs) Of course you were. Um, Xena, the warrior princess. Um, And we have to have Princess Peach and Zelda. You sure. Throw them in there. 
They're, no, they're no Wendy Koopas, but they're yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zelda did some fighting. Well, Peach does some fighting. They're pretty good. She's also real good at driving cars in Mario She is. She's real good at driving, <laughs> like, some pretty dangerous cars. And, like, she competes in all the cups. Like, all of them. <laughs> but Princess Peach is the, the one you want Yeah, to like, Princess, like, this is real dangerous. Like, there's a she, blue turtle shell out there. It's it's over. <laughs> she's like, Robin is racing. <laughs> anyway. Robin is racing. <laughs> That's so funny. Shelling is racing. You saw what happened to the mellow yellow car, princess. <laughs> like, he wanted me to drive it. Aww. So who's your number one princess of all time? Number one. We are Klingons. We do not dirty ourselves with filthy ledgers looking for some financial trick. Look, we've been doing things your way ever since this started, and now you've run out of ideas. So maybe we should try doing things my way for a change. It certainly can't hurt to let me look at some filthy ledgers. We know there is a Star Trek pick for everything. (laughs) But this time... I can't believe you're putting this above Princess Leia, but go on. I choose the most (laughs) glorious female in the Gamma Quadrant. It is Grilka, widow of Kozak, head of House Quark and House Grilka. And yes, this is kind of a stretch, but not really. <laughs> I'm allowing it because what choice do I have? Okay, you're the you, one who you edits know the this podcast. one, right? You know this one. That's the one that. What? Oh. Yes, that is the one that. Yes, okay. <laughs> and it is my favorite thing from all of Star Trek. I love how you I just stop just, me from saying your favorite part. Okay, fine. Yeah, I just, just just tell I mean, us all. I mean, when it ha- when it happened. I like fell off the couch and like was in a fugue state of laughing for like a week. It was like the best thing that ever happened. Okay. So like I said, Grilka is not technically a princess, but functionally she is. She should be the head of her Klingon Imperial house, but she becomes a widow and has no male heir. And her house rival is about to take over all her family assets. But so she goes to the deep space nine space station where Quark, the Ferengi bartender goes over all her financial records and finds out that her rival has been secretly stealing from her family for years, which is most dishonorable. And then she makes Quark get married to her as part of a scheme to get her title back. It was just such a good story. Such a good story. Uh, One of the best Star Trek episodes, I think, across all the series. For several reasons. First of which, since we're talking about princesses, this is a really good example of the princess in rags trope where she's lost everything and has to earn back her title and she's driving the action and bonus points because she's an awesome warrior and everything yes and a space princess would you also love yes and a space princess yes and of course when she first appears on the space station commander Worf is very impressed with her and this is episode has one of my favorite things like i said okay so like rebecca's about to say she walks through uh, the promenade and Worf is on a date at uh, uh, with his girlfriend uh, Jadzia Dax and Grilka walks in and Worf just stands up in the middle of their date and says who is that woman? She is glorious! <laughs> yeah. When you got it, you got it. Did you see her? The Klingon woman. She was glorious. On what planet 
in the universe would it be okay with that fly? I mean, it is just so baldly rude. <laughs> it is hilarious. Well, the reason why it's funny is because we agree that Jedzia Dax is like a dumb love interest for Worf. And yeah. I, it's fine and you get used to yeah. it. But I just think it was so silly. And it's like, no, that's who you should be with, Worf. Yeah. God, that was so that was so funny. And they have like Jadzia kind of has this like whatever dude attitude about it. Like, I guess she's okay. But I think it would have been totally fine for her to be like, Worf, what the hell? Like, it just seemed lame to me. She did not give it back to me. I didn't spend all this time learning the Batlith for you to go and call some other one. That Jadzia learned the Batlith. She was good at the Batlith. Oh, yeah. They went the holiday and fought the Skeletor hologram a bunch. Yeah. Oh, God, that was so stupid. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't spend all this time learning how to use a Batlith for you to just turn around and call that woman glorious just because she's got forehead wrinkles, okay? You know, yes. eyes over here. Exactly. Like, you can try Try your luck. It's uh, uh, <laughs> so, so funny. Like, I'm trying to think, is there a... Is there a human being on the planet that could walk through the door that your partner would be like, okay, okay, that's fine, because they're, like, not even human. I'm trying to think, like, Miss Elizabeth from wrestling, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Oh my God, she's glorious. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, she is a perfect woman. <laughs> I'm like, I don't... She really is, baby. I'd, I'd love to be like her for you, but I just can't. Yeah. Some of us, some angels just flew too close to the <laughs> earth, and that's Miss Elizabeth. Yeah, Miss Elizabeth, Patrick Stewart, oh, Scary Sherry, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's good that we can't think of anyone that we think is glorious. I guess so, I guess so. Back to why uh, Grilka is so is so great beyond this moment being like the most hilarious thing, and also Worf just like follows her through the whole station like a creep, and Jodsey is like, "What? What? What?" That's the weirdest scene. It's so funny. I have never seen such a woman. But anyway, uh, even though everything about Ferengis would be nauseating to a Klingon woman, she and Quark grow to respect each other and make this hilarious, very capable team, and they even bring her back later for them to have a real romance, which I just loved. Um, and she could have been a recur- recurring character. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of spirit gum in that kiss. Do they <laughs> oh, kiss? I don't even know. I don't remember. I, don't, I think they do. Well, I know they do for the marriage, and then she spits. It's real funny. All the female Klingons are great, but she like plays it more grounded, just with the you know the Klingon dentures. Um, and it was really good. And the actress Mary Kay Adams is an actual descendant of U.S. presidents John Adams and John Quincy Adams. <laughs> That's a proud lineage. She was also a major character on Guiding Light, which was funny to me. Glory to Grilka. The Parian Ale with just a hint of Possifer, as I recall. You remember, I'm honored. Well, once again, that's the last word on everything ever. I figured out I like um, space princesses. I guess I didn't figure it out. I just uh, yeah, I think would we like to share that, that I do. There, and, that, and that's fine. You know what? And that's just fine. And I like princesses who aren't polished. Yeah. 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 And we're moving in a good princess direction, yeah. I think. It's, now it's, it's a good just, time for princesses. Yeah, now it's just a, a thing that you want to be if you're like, I'm special and I'm the main character. Which is funny. Which is, I mean, it really fits with our uh, Mortal Kombat Princess franchise. Yeah, we're going to have to do that. I actually do think it's kind of interesting that I, I feel like Gen Z is like coming around the other side of the curve now. Because I think um, 
they think it's like almost tacky to insist on like, ooh, I identify with the princess. Like there's a whole thing on um, YouTube and TikTok making fun of people who think that they're the main character. Oh. You know, and it's it's hard to explain to young people that it's okay to be the main character of your own story. It's just uh-huh. that you can't be, you're not the main character of everyone's story. Right, right. Right, and there's like a lot of disdain for those kind of people on social media, which I think is great because that's definitely the kind of thing that we need to be apprised of. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. That's yeah. so interesting. Yeah. Look up. I mean, look up. I'm the main character, or you're not the main character, and it's it's really it's interesting to see how these discussions are happening amongst the young people. Okay. Oh, you know who I almost picked for a princess is you know how we were talking about how Ariel didn't appreciate the amazing concert that they had been coordinating <laughs> forever at the beginning and Sebastian was conducting and then she wasn't in that clamshell like she's supposed to be. Yes. I was going to pick one of the other sisters who did what they were supposed to <laughs> and learn her part. She learned the choreo. They should have had an understudy who could have jumped in that clamshell. I think Aquata could have jumped in there and took care of it. An undersea study? Oh, yes. That's Hey-o. good. <laughs> Rebecca, was this our last episode? We have one more. We have one more episode. Yeah. Uh, which we I think we said before, so hopefully it won't be too much of a surprise. And again, we're not going anywhere. We are having... Uh, I got to write Curdle Holler. Yeah. I, need to, I, I wrote a page yesterday. I'm not, I don't write the whole thing myself, but I got to do my... I got to write. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, we're, uh, we're tr- trying to wrap up writing episode one. We've got the season storyboarded. Um, but anyway, Curdle Holler will come out fairly soon like sometime in september we're thinking yeah um and and we'll we'll keep people apprised of, of we're what gonna we're doing. try to be active on social media too it's just hard because everybody just yakking all day long trying to get engagement on sharing some sort of picture about like who's the fifth teletubby name one like retweet you won't just, believe number four it's like yes i will i know the fourth one yeah <laughs> yeah i will believe number four and i don't care so we really just try to balance our wanting to be like talking to people that we think are cool that we know from the podcast with not being obnoxious but we're gonna try yeah we're gonna try to do stuff on twitter and you can find us on Twitter at WizardsNSPod or visit CurdleHoller.com to catch up on our Halloween comedy series. Or support my vanity career in Prague Alt Country by searching Keen Garrity on YouTube mm-hmm. and stream my album Get Big. K-E-E-N-G-A-R-R-I-T-Y. Yeah, we just posted a video where Rebecca and I played her title track from the album on YouTube. Yeah, you can look at it. Yep. You can see our dining room. Okay, uh, so next episode will be the last episode of this podcast, uh, and then we will sort of like have a handoff for, um, you know, our thoughts about what we're what we're doing next, which will probably be a, a bit of curdle holler talk to sort of get you ready for that. Yeah, it's basically Halloween because it's the time of the year That's when right. you just stay in your house and it's hot. Yes. So I think about Halloween a lot. Yes, and can we turn on the? And we're gonna be able to turn on the air conditioner when we press off on this, so it won't blow up your audio system over there correct okay lots of power surges in this house (laughs) very dangerous (laughs) okay for what we were putting it through thank you for listening we will see you next week when we call forth new champions the legends they tell of a hero facing down fears and cutting down foes there's no resemblance to what you know when your own deeds feel humble and